If you have your Bibles, turn to Colossians chapter 1. We'll start continuing in our series. We'll start from verse 9. As you know, last week we started our new sermon series called Ultimate, and it's going to be a study on the book of Colossians. And if you remember, I gave a fourfold reason why we are starting this series. As some of you might know, if you've been with our church, we like to do topical sermons because there are certain things in certain seasons of the year that we want to address. But then also, one of the passions that we have is that we really want to see every single one of you as part of our church to be Bible literate, to really know the Word of God. That's the only thing that will transform you. You will no longer have, some of you will graduate and leave to other places. You're not going to have the worship. You're not going to have the life group. And so unless you're rooted in the Word of God, it's going to be very difficult for some of us to survive spiritually. So one of the things that we're doing is we want to teach you how to be Bible literate, to study the Word, know the Word, not just the BRPs, which is the Bible reading plan, but just understanding the context of Scripture and understanding key phrases, key words, even as you study that with me here and listen to the Word and taking notes that it will help you to learn more about who God is. Another reason is that we really want to strengthen the belief in the supremacy and the sufficiency of Jesus Christ. This is one of the reasons why many of you in this room struggle in your daily walk with God, because you do not see the supremacy and the sufficiency of Christ that's deserving of worship. And so we want to make sure we build that into every single one of us in our worldview. So we want to strengthen that. A third reason is because there's a battle for our hearts. And we don't, I don't have to convince you there's a battle in your heart. You know it. You feel it. Even as we sing that song, our hearts are prone to wander and we feel it. And that's why we want to strengthen you and give you tools to fight this battle and win. Because not only did Christ give us the victory, we have to now appropriate that into our lives. And the fourth and last reason is because we want every single one of us here in this place to boast in who Christ is, the life that we have in Christ. And I'm going to talk about that uh, in the weeks to come, about that phrase, in Christ. You will see it often in the book of Colossians, in Christ. And what does that mean? And it's about not your own personal life that you live on your own strength or power, but it's the life that you live in Christ so that anything good happens, you boast about him. Even the bad things, your weaknesses, that you can still boast about Christ because you, you and I our lives are now in him and him alone. And so I pray that through the study that we'll see our church grow in depth as well as in breadth and we'll be able to reach out to other people and share the good news of Jesus Christ. And I'm hoping ultimately we can fulfill the commandment of making disciples of all nations as we come together and grow together. So I want to start off as you turn to Colossians chapter 1. I want to start off and ask, why is it easy to say that you'll pray for someone or something rather than actually doing it. I want you to give that a little thought. If you want to put it in a different way, I'll, make, I'll put it in terms of a statement for you to think about. I, I believe it's always easier to say that you will pray for something or someone than actually doing the hard work of praying. And it's amazing how our minds, or in our minds, we, we know the importance of prayer. If I were to ask anyone in this room, how many of you believe the importance of prayer? How many of you believe that prayer can change lives? I think many of us 
in this room would raise our hand. But the problem is that when we think about our lives, the struggles that you go through, the decisions you have to make in your life, and some of you have recently had to, had to make some decisions. Some of you are in the midst of making some decisions in your life. When you think about the things that are going on in your daily life, when you're tired, when you're going through relational conflicts, we know it in our heads, the importance of prayer, but rarely do we pray. And I'll explain a little bit more as we look into the text for today. And I think sometimes it's always easier to use phrases like, oh, I'll, I'll, I'll pray for that, or I'll pray for you. How many, don't raise your hand, but how many of us, when someone shares something in your life group WhatsApp, oh, we'll be praying, oh, I'll pray for you. Like, how many of us actually pray? See, once again, we know it. Somehow we think that in our minds, as soon as we think about prayer, we're like, oh, yeah, we've got to pray, as if we actually prayed, but we didn't. So that means you just lied to a bunch of people in your life group. Think about it. Just if, if, Don't do it now, but if you scroll a little bit later and look at all the times where you say, I'll pray for you, or we'll be praying. And ask yourself, did you at that moment or even later on that day? Let's be honest. I really enjoy uh, John Chris. I don't know if you know who he is. He's a Christian uh, comedian. And he loves to poke fun at fair say self-righteous Christians. That's why I like him. And he's, he's just hilarious. You know, those people who are like really spiritual. They think they're so awesome. He, he loves to kind of like just kind of like push a little button and they get so angry, which by the way, if you start getting angry, then something's, anyway, that's a whole different sermon. But he loves poking at those people who are just very self-righteous. They think they're really spiritual, but deep inside, they're not. Outwardly, they might, but deep in their hearts, they're not. And so what he does is that he was talking about how so many Christians find different ways, Christian ways, to say no. Now, some of us in this room have a very hard time saying no. I think you might be able to relate. So instead of just saying no, like he's giving all these Christian examples of how people, Christian people, say no by spiritualizing it. And I think one of the things he's mentioned is what I'm trying to target is, oh, I'll I'll pray about that. So I want you to watch this. It's a really short clip. If you get offended, just repent and ask the Lord for, you know, love and all that kind of stuff. Uh, But let's watch this together. (laughs) Okay, let's let's be honest. How many, uh, let's confess, how many of us have said at least one of those things, right? I think many of us, if we're honest. (laughs) And this is the part that I want you to understand. It is scary how so many of us can use prayer to spiritualize things, especially when there are things that we don't want to do. I think we have forgotten the power of prayer. And now we have taken this spiritual discipline of prayer and kind of turned it around and used it for our own self-centered purposes. You know, as we look into our lives, we have to confess that this lo- we, we've lost this understanding of the importance of prayer. Like, we might understand it here but our actions do not show it. I don't think we see it in our lives. We don't see it in our church at times, your life group. 
We don't see it around the city. And that's why part of what we're trying to do is bring churches together to pray for the city and do things to begin to be united as one, as one church of Hong Kong. I think this is why Satan will do everything possible to prevent you from praying. He will use laziness, a lack of faith, doubt, or even fear. Fear of your parents, fear of what other people will think about you, fear of the consequences, fear of maybe even the cost that's involved if you were to obey God as we trust in him. Some of us, I think Satan uses self-centeredness. He, he gaslights this inside our hearts, and we make everything about ourselves. I like what R.A. Torrey said in his collection of writings in the best of R.A. Torrey. He writes this, When the devil sees a man or woman who really believes in prayer, who knows how to pray, and who really does pray, and above all, when he sees a whole church on its face before God in prayer, he trembles as much as he ever did, for he knows that his day in that church or community is at its end. What a powerful quote. That when we begin to pray, like Satan literally trembles because he knows that now we're tapping into the source. That he loves to see some of you in bondage and still in the same depressive state, your emotional state. He loves it. He loves to see you go in circles again and again because it just seems like you'll never get out of it. When's the last time you prayed? Or some of you who have friends who are going through emotional or even mental health issues, when have you interceded and prayed? I'll pray for you, but we forgot we, we didn't pray. You're not going to be able to fight the bondage and break the bondage in your life, your friend's life, your family's life without prayer. Some of you have family members who are not believers. When have you actually listed up their names and every single day or every other day or on a certain day at a certain time that you're committed to prayer? You can share that you're burdened for your parents. You can share that they don't know Christ, your brother or your sister. But does it translate into prayer? And that's why a person who prays, a church that prays, is a person or a church or a community that Satan trembles at because he knows great things will happen. So let me give us the one thing that I want to talk about today as we look into the second part of the Colossians series called Ultimate. The one thing is simply this, that we can follow God's way as we learn how to pray. Very simple, that we can follow God's way as we learn how to pray. I'm going to highlight two things that we must remember about how we can follow God's way as we learn how to pray. The first thing that I want us to remember is this, that prayer sustains us, that prayer sustains us. Let's go ahead and read verse 9 and 10 from Colossians chapter 1. And the Word of God says this. I'm going to read it from the ESV. You can follow along in your Bible app or in our church app or just read on with somebody next door. You could listen. So listen to what he says. Uh, this is Apostle Paul speaking, and he says this, And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, 
fully pleasing him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. Let's pause here and look at these two verses as I want to talk about how prayer sustains us. In verse 9, as we just read, when the Apostle Paul says, from the day we heard, I want you to focus on that phrase, from the day we heard, he is referring to what he mentioned earlier in verse 4. Will you quickly look at verse 4? And you will realize that in verse 4, he was addressing the Colossian believers, and he says, and I'm going to read it from the New Living Translation, for we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and your love for all of God's people. I want you to catch that phrase, we have heard. So he's linking verse 4 to what he's sharing right now in verse 9. From that moment on, listen to me carefully, from that moment on, as soon as Paul, because Paul didn't start the church, it was Epaphras and it was other people who visited, but when he heard about their faith, from that moment on, about their faith and their love for the Colossian people, he and Timothy, it says here, they have never ceased. They have not ceased to pray for them. Now, what does that mean? Does that mean that they locked themselves up and then 24-7 they were constantly praying and they would take a little water break? I mean, what does it mean to not cease to pray for them? I want you to think about this for a moment. Because I hope you understand, it doesn't mean that all they did was just pray. But whenever God brought it to their mind, they will continue to pray for them. And so the question is why? I think Paul probably understood that following Christ would not be easy. Can I get a good amen to that? Following Christ, Paul knew because he was following Christ. He knew that it was not easy. He knew that these young believers would face temptations of going back to their old way of life. Now, I'm wondering how many of us have experienced that. Those of you who came to know Jesus Christ, whether at the retreat or even within this year, maybe in the last five years, the temptation to go back to the old way of life, it is so strong. Even some of you who have been a Christian for a long time, some of the things that you still haven't addressed or the things that you're trying to address. It might be some kind of addiction that you had before you came to Christ, or maybe you were a churchgoer, not a believer, but a churchgoer, and finally you came to understand this awakening that Jesus Christ and the gospel message has awakened your hearts. And it's not like you completely get rid of all the stuff. That's the process of God trying to work on you to make you more and more like him. And so what happens is that a lot of times we struggle with these things. We're tempted to go back. So Paul knew without prayer that these Colossian believers, they're going to easily go back to their old way of life. I talked about this earlier last week. The Colossians, there were a lot of different idols and different things that people were worshiping in the city and in the surrounding cities. It was easy for many of these early believers to just kind of have all these other little gods and then put Jesus as another god, not the ultimate or the supreme, but just as another god. Because God services them in some way, gives them peace, gives them hope. But really, these other things give them satisfaction. These other things give them hope. He also knew that this process of transformation only God could bring about. Can I get a good amen to that? You cannot change yourself. 
You cannot change people in your life group. You cannot change your spouse. You cannot change your children. And until we get it through our thick heads that we cannot do anything, maybe that's when we will start to pray for people. So for Paul to say that I have not ceased to pray for you ever since I've heard about your faith, There's something that he understood deeply, that the temptation to go back to your old way of life is strong. The process of transformation, it it, it takes time, but it's a work that only God does. Not because you're a great leader, not because you are now like decided not to hang out with those groups of people, but it's the work of God. I'm wondering how many times have we seen people who became a Christian and then turned away. They go back to the old way of life. I've seen many. That's why a lot of times, one of the things that I've noticed working with so many college students is that freshman year, there's a whole group of freshmen. They're like herds, right? They're like cattle. They just kind of all move together. Where are you going? We're going over there. Okay, and they all go. <laughs> you know how it is. But the true test is by senior year, how big is that group? Let's be honest. Those of you who are seniors right now, that group starts dwindling because many people have been drawn to so many things of this world. I don't know. I mean, I, sometimes in my cynicism, I'm like, that's just life. What can you do? Some of them were not chosen and predestined by God, but that, that's not very nice. But I'm just like, well, what can you do? Some of you who are college students, you're part of classes. When was the last time you actually came together as a class and started praying for some of your other friends who used to be here with their freshman year, sophomore year, but somehow so many different things have happened and captured their hearts that they're no longer interested in anything with God. Even though you were like, oh my goodness, they went to that retreat. They went to that thing. We were at that life group where we experienced the power of God. So how does prayer sustain us then? As he says that, I will I not cease praying for you. Well, clearly, we notice three things. The things that Paul prays for, for the Colossian believers. The first thing is this. He prays for the wisdom of God. Paul prayed that God will fill the Colossians with the knowledge of God's will, which flows out of having the spiritual wisdom and understanding. I want you to look at verse 9 again and look at the word filled. That word filled is translated as controlled by. So when you are being filled, you are being controlled by whatever it is that you're being filled. So that makes sense. Some of you fill yourselves with just the things of this world. Some of you are filling yourself with lies. So what are you controlled by? You're controlled by those things. Some of you are filling yourself with materialism. So you're controlled by money, success, whatever it may be. That's why Paul is praying that the Colossians will be controlled by the full knowledge of the will of God. I want you to look at the next phrase. You will see all spiritual wisdom and understanding. When he's praying for that, he does not mean that we will know everything. Everyone, amen to that? Man, if we knew everything, we don't need anyone. 
He's not saying all spiritual wisdom and all spiritual understanding means that you will know everything. That's not what he's praying for. But what Paul is praying for is that they will have all the wisdom that is necessary. That's the key. All the wisdom that is necessary for making decisions and living for God. That's what we should be praying for. And that's what we should not only pray for ourselves but other people so that we can be sustained. God, help us to have all wisdom and knowledge and understanding of your will. May we be controlled by that. I'm wondering how how do we often find ourselves praying to God when it comes to decisions? I I know I'm going to hit a sore spot. I'm I'm going to warn you ahead of time. You're going to get offended, okay? So turn to somebody next to you. You might get offended. Go ahead, turn to somebody. So hold on. Because remember, when I speak, no one likes the truth. I, honestly, like if someone tells you the truth, who likes it? It's like, yeah, I messed up. No one likes the truth. But it's only through the truth it will set you free. Can I get a good amen to that? And I want you to be set free from yourself, your self-centeredness, from your life that's putting you in bondage. So listen very carefully. I'm wondering, and this is the many of us, because I'm putting myself included here, When it comes to decision, how many of you pray, Lord, do you want me to go there or do you want me to go there or stay here? Lord, do you want me to take this job or that job? Lord, like I said, let me give a precursor. I know some of you, I had a conversation in the last couple weeks, and some of you are sitting there and you're going to go like this. Like, I can't believe he's sharing what we talked about. Please, it's not about you. It's not about you. There's many other people who have talked to me, so it's not just you, okay? You're not the most important person. There's many other people in our church. Look around you. Okay, I I, I won't even look at you just in case, like some of you are like, he's even looking in my direction. That's that's how self-centered you are. My God, deliver you with... Thank you. Let me put it here. So I don't want to get too excited. This is the problem. I'm going to get. I think I just like confrontation. I don't know what it is. Okay. All right. So, okay. Let me, let me, let me. I, I need to cover this point. This is important. We, we, we ask God, God, A or B? God, C or D? And I'm going to tell you right now. As soon as you ask that question, you're going to hear silence. Just crickets going. Don't raise your hand, but I'm wondering how many of you heard silence. You pray, A or B? Chirp, chirp, chirp. Silence. So every single time I hear people saying, yeah, I've been praying about this decision, and I've been asking God, does he want me to go to this thing or not? Does he want me to sign up for this thing or not? (laughs) I love to say, don't answer. I know. I bet you there was silence. They go, how did you know? (laughs) Silence. This is what Apostle Paul is addressing. This is important. When it comes to decisions and the way we live our lives, 
So many of us are saying, if God would only show me, I would do it. You liar, you will not. If he showed you what he wanted you to do, I think many of us in this room will disobey him. If God told me I was going to be a pastor like many years before he had to work on my heart, I would have said, "Uh uh-uh. Get behind me, Satan. That's what I'll be saying. (laughs) So in that way, God is loving and he's wise. He knows when to tell us things, when to bring circumstances, to break us, humble us, so that we could obey God. But I will say this. Whenever we ask that question, when it comes to decision-making, God, do you want us to do this or that? I'm telling you right now, there will be almost all the time silence. So what I'm trying to propose to you is you're lifting up the wrong prayer. The prayer is not, God, do you want me to do this or that? Like, let me give you an example. And like I said, I'm not picking on any of you. Like someone would sometimes say, look, Pastor, I mean, I'm not sure if God wants me to go on missions or not. And I said, chirp, chirp, chirp. Yeah, he won't tell you. Because he's not about, like, telling you. I'm not saying that you cannot know his heart, but he's not going to be like, girl. (laughs) No. (sighs) (laughs) Do you know what you should be praying about? When he says that you will be filled with the full knowledge and the wisdom and understanding of the will of God, what I would suggest that person who's wanting to know if they should go on missions or not is stop praying for if you should go or not. Pray for missions. Pray for the lost. Pray Matthew chapter 9, verse 36 through 38. That Jesus has compassion on these people because they were lost and helpless. And they were like sheep without a shepherd. So pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest field. That's what you should be praying for. God, send people to go to these lost people who don't know Jesus Christ. That's what you should be praying for. And I guarantee you God will speak to you. He might say yes, he might say no, not at this time. God, do you want me to go or stay? He's not going to answer you. Pray for what God is doing right here, right now. Pray for the things that you were thinking about. Pray for those things. Is it in line with the will of God, the heart of God? Lord, should I love my roommate or should I not? Chirp, chirp, chirp. Pray for your roommate. So Paul says, I did not cease to stop praying for you ever since I heard about your faith. And he prays for this full knowledge of God that will be filling them up, will control them, so that everything that they do will be in accordance to the will of God, not by fear, not by what other people say, because there's a conviction in the heart to say, God, this is what you desire from me, and I want to obey you. Not only the wisdom of God, but we see the walk with God. 
In verse 10, we see this connection between wisdom and our walk with God. Now, it's important to remember that following Christ requires us not to dichotomize what we know and what we do. But isn't this our story? So many of us in this room, we dichotomize what we know and what we do. But you have to understand that knowledge and obedience go together. I don't have time to unpackage all of this, but you'll see it all throughout Scripture that the knowing the will of God and not doing it, you're going to be punished more than not knowing the will of God and not doing it. Knowledge, knowing God, knowing His will, knowing what it says in Scripture, and you not obeying. And I think this is the reason why so many of our lives, we're not experiencing the fullness of this life that Jesus Christ has promised. Because many of us, we have a lot of head knowledge. We know a lot of stuff about the Bible. We know a lot of stuff of things that God has put in our hearts. But we don't do it. We don't do it. And what you should be asking and what I should be asking is, what is hindering me from obeying? Is it my fear? Is it just my apathy? Is it my self-centeredness, my self-protection, my self-sufficiency? What is it that is preventing you from obeying? Because more knowledge will not make you more obedient. Can I get a good amen to that? We have too much information. We know too much. But we're not living it out. That's why you will see the verb to walk. It is translated as to live. And I've said this many times before. It's a very important idea. The walking, that metaphor of the walking, it is really about living. So that's why he also told the people of Galatia, if you remember, Paul did in chapter 5, verse 16. It says this, but I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. In the NIV, it says this, So I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. So walking and living has the same connotation. This idea of walking, and it says, walking in a manner worthy of the Lord. This is important for us to understand as we talk about prayer sustaining us. Walking in a manner or living in a manner worthy of the Lord means to have our lives match the worthiness or or the worth of Christ. Therefore, if I could flip it around and ask you is this, what is Jesus worth to you? What is he worth to you? What does he mean to you? Because if he means a lot, then the way you live, the decisions you make, will make him the supreme and ultimate. If he's just a functional God that whenever you need him, whenever things are tough, then you turn to him, then the decisions and the things that you do and how you live your life will reflect that. That is the reason why in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1, as he wrote to even to the people of Ephesus, He says, as a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Paul knew that the calling that he had was so precious. It was so valuable. It was literally priceless. 
That that's why he was willing to lay down his life and even go through imprisonment, beatings, and hardships because he realized this calling is a very sacred calling. What does Jesus mean to you and how much worth does Jesus have in your life? When we live in this manner, you know what it does? It honors God and pleases God. That's what it says in verse 10. It pleases him. The New Living Translation of verse 10 says this, then the way you live will always honor and please the Lord. The message translation says, we pray that you will live well for the master, making him proud of you. I'm so saddened. And please understand me because I'm coming from a parent as well. I'm so saddened when I see people wanting to please their parents more than pleasing God. It just breaks my heart. I'm a parent. I'm speaking as a parent because it brings me great joy when I see my kids obeying and trying to please. It honors me. Because they're putting worth in my words and our, our advice. Christina and my advice as they listen. But it saddens me when people put more worth on what their parents or their friends or the world tells them more than pleasing God. It breaks my heart. It just shows me, oh, their love for God is somewhere down here. Their love for their parents is way up here. Or may may I say not so much love for parents, but your fear of your parents is up here. I think if you were honest this morning, I know that a lot of the stuff, it's hard to swallow this morning, but I I, want to, I'm speaking from my heart. As I had time to meditate on this passage and trying to, draw the points that God wanted me to share with some of you. I think if we're honest with ourselves, we're not living our lives that reflect the greatness of who God is. But we live our lives in the greatness of who we are. The greatness of our future, which is never guaranteed. The greatness of our security, which is never guaranteed. You might even die tonight. How many of you guys like exotic cars? It's okay, you know. You guys remember Pastor Dave, he loves that. But if you ever want to see exotic cars, you got to go to the island or TST. I don't know what it is about TST. And I was in TST recently, and it's kind of interesting when these guys, and sometimes girls, but mostly guys, when they have like the Lamborghinis or the Ferraris or I saw this one Bentley. I'm like, dang, all right. And I'm telling you, it was just like, it's, it's just, you just got to watch them. I, I'm like, if there was like a, a hobby of people watching, you know, you know kind of, not, not, not the pervs and all that kind of stuff, please. Like, don't get me wrong. I, I'm just talking about just, you know, observing, all right? Anyway, to get your mind out of the gutter, okay? So what, what I'm trying to say is just, just people watching, kind of like when you're bird watching, you know, people watching. And it's really funny because when you go to uh, TST or just watch some of these guys with their cars. And, I mean, first of all, I'm jealous. Okay, that's the first thing. I would, let's get that out of the way. 
But after that, I'm just watching these guys and just the way they carry themselves. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? For some reason, they feel like they're so important. And some of them are funny because they like to kind of do a little circle around the car just to make sure that no one scratched or whatever. Or they would like to kind of stand in front of the car with the door open as if they're really checking the phone. Probably no one, right? Or if they try to do one of these things and the phone actually rings as they're doing this. But anyway, like, like you could totally tell what they're doing. What they're saying is simply this. Look at my car. It's very valuable. And so that's making me value, very valuable. And so I want you to just observe me for a little bit. <laughs> and sometimes in my pride or my own like jealousy or covetous, you know, being covetous to, towards that car, sometimes I don't give them the pleasure because they know that they want me to look. But I just keep on walking. Don't even stop. Well, everyone's like, just keep on walking. But I will have to confess, I have really good peripheral vision. So I could look like I'm looking straight, but I'm looking at the car. (laughs) I share this because when Christ is that valuable to you, the way you live your life will reflect that. how you carry yourself, what you talk about, your decisions you make, you will want to boast about this King of kings and Lord of lords. I hope you're following the wisdom of God, our walk with God. He's praying for these guys. And then third, lastly, the work for God. In verse 10b, 10 bravo, We see the phrase, bearing fruit in every good work. Paul mentioned earlier in verse 6, if you quickly look at verse 6, about how the gospel that the Colossians received is bearing fruit and increasing throughout the earth. So he takes that same phrase and now mentions it here in verse 10, bravo. Because Paul wants the fruits to continue to grow. Pretty much he wants them to be fruitful as they obey God by doing good works. It's important to understand that we cannot produce the fruit on our own, but we must depend on God. That's why in John chapter 15, verse 5, and the ESV says this, I'm the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So this idea of abiding in him and him abiding in us, it says what? We will bear much fruit. It's what God does. Even bearing fruit is something that we need to learn how to, over time, develop as we learn how to depend on God. I think this is one of the greatest truths when we think about bearing fruit. Same chapter, John chapter 15, and, but then verse 16a, 16 alpha, it says this in New Living Translation. You didn't choose me, I chose you. I appointed you to go and what? Everyone say it. Produce lasting fruit. Bearing fruit is a command that God wants you and I to bear fruit. Are you producing fruit through the works for God? You cannot do it without prayer. Some of you are serving in ministry teams, and we thank you guys. I mean, just the amount of work that you guys do to keep our church growing and people experiencing God 
It's phenomenal. Like I, I've been just kind of, I'm not much of an Instagram user, even though I know that's an in thing, but I used it before some of you might've been born. No, I'm just kidding. But uh, I decided to stop using it. But even our Instagram uh, page, it's, it's lit up, amen? Okay? Like just even when I look at other churches, I'm like, eh. But I'm like, mm. It's like, boom. And I'm like, all right, all right. Just getting the word out. And so I'm just like, wow, this is great. And so I, I think about all the hard work that many of you guys do. And I know that your heart's desire is I want God to use my gifts and passions and talents so that I could glorify him or somehow one more person came to know Jesus Christ. But I'm going to say this to you. No matter how talented you are, no matter how much work, sleepless nights you put into the things that you do, if it is not done by abiding in Christ in the vine, you're not going to produce fruit. What would happen if some of your ministry teams actually prayed more so in certain gatherings than just talking about what we're going to plan out? Just a little challenge. Some of you who are part of our salt community, learning how to be a servant of Christ, like you're doing a lot of work. But are you doing the hard work of prayer? Some of us who are leading in our church, we're, we're busy. But are you doing it with the spirit of prayer and dependence on God? It's important to understand that God has to be the one who produces the fruit because he has appointed us to go and produce lasting fruit. Let me just say this. It's important to know that all these three things, the wisdom, the walk, and the work, the things that Paul prayed for the Colossians believers, they were all spiritual blessings and not just material or physical. This is important. I want you to note this. There's nothing wrong with praying for physical provisions. There's nothing wrong with praying for material things. But I want you to notice here, sometimes what we need more than anything else is the spiritual blessings. Amen? The spiritual blessings. Man, if I could have the wisdom of God and I could walk and live in Christ, if I could just work and do things to, that comes from abiding and producing the fruit, even if I don't have all the things of this world, Lord, that will satisfy me. Can we say that? That's why I love E.M. Bounds. If you ever want to read a book on prayer, just read anything by E.M. Bounds. He was a Methodist, old, Methodist pastor, and listen to what he writes. Prayer should not be regarded as a duty which must be performed, but rather as a privilege to be enjoyed, a rare delight that is always revealing some new beauty. Man, if we had this kind of attitude when it comes to prayer, I'm wondering how many more people in our church will be praying. Not some kind of duty, but we're going to actually discover new beauties of God's heart, his will. How about us this morning? Are we growing in our knowledge of God as we're serving him? I'm wondering if your family or friends will be able to see how much Christ is worth by the way you live your life and the decisions you make. As I share with you, what breaks my heart is when parents threaten or force their kids to do anything, then pretty much some of you capitulate and you cave in. And to you, I will say this. I know it's hard. I know it's a struggle. 
But sometimes one of the greatest declarations you can make is, Mom, Dad, I love you, but I love Christ more. Will they get angry? Yes. Will they get hurt? Yes. But sometimes it is through those things that they will come to know Jesus Christ. Some of you who have been praying for your parents to come to know Jesus Christ, if they can see that Christ is that much more worthy, even more than them, they're going to be like, what is making my kid worship this Jesus? I, want, I need to get to know him. And you know as soon as you touch the Bible, you're dead. God's going to get you. And I'm going to say that, man, I'm going to step on a lot of people's toes. Let me just say this. But my parents are Christians, are they? Whenever I hear that and I hear what they're trying to, like, literally go against the will of God that I see in Scripture, I'm like, this whole world is filled with lukewarm Christian by name or ID card Christians. That's why sometimes persecution is good because it'll filter out those people who really love Christ and those who are just doing church. Let me close with the second point. Prayer not only sustains us, if you're still not offended yet, I promise I'll try to do it with a smile and open arms. Prayer not only sustains us, but we have to remember that prayer strengthens us. Let's finish off as we read verse 11, 12. It says this. Being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Let me just do these two verses first. It's important to note that the phrase in verse 11, be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, uses two separate words for the word strength. You you don't see this, but when you study this, you will notice that there are two separate words for this idea of strength. You notice the word power and might. The word power in the original language is where we get the word dunamis, which is dynamite. And that word dunamis, it means an an inherent power. It's almost like this power that just comes from within. It's, It's power itself. The dunamis power. And then the other word is might, which is translated in the original word as kratos. And that word means manifested power, kind of like a demonstration in action. So their one is more inherent, and the other is more of a demonstration, a manifested power, which helps us to overcome resistance. And it's interesting that the word might in the New Testament is only used in the context of God. God is the only one who has this might. Paul uses these same concepts as he wrote to the people of Ephesus. That's why it's amazing when he writes these letters of similarities. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 19 and 20, listen to what he writes. And what is this immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places? What I want you to focus on is this. You will notice this immeasurable greatness of his what? Power. And then that dunamis power, 
And then you will notice at the end of verse 19, working in his great what? Might, the kratos. So what he's saying is this, his power that's inherent, only God has, listen to me, but then it is manifested in this might through what? By raising, raising Jesus from the dead. He demonstrated, he showed it, he made it visible. He manifested this power by raising Jesus from the dead. Paul simply says that without God's mighty power at work in us, we will never be able to live in a way that is pleasing to him. It is the power of God that strengthens us. It's important because when we depend on God through prayer, listen to me, we will be able to have endurance, patience, joy, thanksgiving. You see those words in verse, uh, what is that, verse 11 and 12. Because what we have to remember is that there is a process. When we go through difficult things, it will cause us to pray. And when we begin to pray, we will learn to develop endurance, patience, joy, and thanksgiving. None of these things come automatically. You have to understand. Wouldn't it be awesome if you could just lay there and say, God, just let it happen. And we get endurance and patience. Man, that means that all of us will be so loving. All of us will be so enduring and so persevering. You don't have to raise your hand, but how many of you guys really don't like those people who eat a lot, but they're never gaining weight? Don't you hate that? Like, I'm not one of those people. If I eat a lot, especially at night, I'm going to blow up like a balloon. I'm going to have to tell my wife, I need to get new pants. But you know, you know those people who eat like, like a pig, you're just like, wow. But they never gain weight. It's, it's got to be a spiritual gift or, or some kind of gift. It's like, it's like, why? How? Let me just say, growing in patience and endurance is not like that gift. It really is something that you have to develop. You don't have endurance and patience because you have great genes, <laughs> a great DNA. You do it because you have it because you developed it. Can I ask you, how many of you know at least one person who's like really like gritty? Like they know how to endure, they persevere. They're very focused people. Do you guys all have someone that you know who are like that? Some of you are like, yes, me. <laughs> but, but I hope there's at least one person in your life who just like, they just like endure. They're just like going through the difficult things. And when I think about that, I realize, wow, I would love to hear their story. Because a lot of times when they're gritty or they're persevering or they have this endurance, there's a story behind it. That's how they got like that. They didn't just get it automatically. It has to be developed. Even James chapter 1, verse 3 and 4 tells us this in the New Living Translation. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. I like the message translation of that verse. It says, you know that under pressure, your faith life is forced into the open and shows its true colors. So don't try to get out of anything prematurely. Let it do its work so that you become mature and well-developed, not deficient in any way. How many guys like stress? <laughs> How many guys like midterms? How many guys like oh, this overwhelming feeling at work, like you're under the gun and you're constantly like, but no one. If you do, it just tap them on the head. You're crazy. You're a sadomasochist. What's wrong with you? 
No one, no one likes that pressure and stress and makes you go crazy. No one. No one likes those people who like brings ugly things out of us. No one. Sometimes those people, I'm like, get them. No one. But what James is saying and what God is saying is simply this. If you want to develop endurance and patience and joy and thanksgiving, a thankful heart, you got to develop it and it gets developed through testing the trials, suffering, hardships. That's why it's interesting that oftentimes endurance and patience are linked and associated very closely. The word endurance is translated as remaining under. It implies that when a person does not easily succumb under suffering, or nor do they give up or grow apathetic. So just think about someone who's like trying to lift that thing and they're like, and they're doing it for a long time. That is this idea of endurance. They, they are remaining under whatever is pushing down on them. The word patience is translated as long-suffering. Everyone say long-suffering. long-suffering. Which implies that having self-restraint without getting retaliatory, without wanting to get vengeful or revenge, without trying to control things, that's what it means to be patient. Where you are willing to suffer, that person, that you're willing to face that situation where it's just literally draining you. Long-suffering. As the Colossian believers learn how to endure patiently in the midst of their suffering, they're able to show that they have their hope set on God. Man, this is such a, you want to find strength to go through what you're going through right now in your life? Because it's showing your true colors. It's, it's exposing you. That you don't really love God like you say you do. You don't really know God as much as you like to believe that you do. You're not as loving to people as you thought. You were only loving to people because those people were very lovable. You want to test to see if you really love people? Just get some extra grace required people in your life. I guarantee you it will show your true colors. I'm like, I could be a loving pastor, sure, if they're all loving or lovable, but you just get some extra extra grace required people into your life. You're like, oh, Lord, why did I go into ministry? Why did I become a pastor? Take it away, Lord. Three times I asked the Lord, take it away, take it away. And three times he goes, my grace is sufficient. Shut up. Romans 5, 3 through 5. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. Everyone say endurance. endurance. And endurance produces character, and character produces what? Hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. 2 Corinthians chapter 6 through 4 through 6, it says this in the New Living Translation. In everything we do, we show that we are true ministers of God or servants of God. We patiently endure troubles and hardships and calamity of every kind. We have been beaten, put in, been put in prison, faced angry mobs, worked to exhaustion, endure sleepless nights and gone without food. We prove ourselves by our purity, by our understanding, our patience, our kindness, by the Holy Spirit within us and by our sincere love. 
That's why the beauty is this metaphor of light and darkness is introduced here in verse 12. Can I just close with verse 13 and 14 here? Listen to what it says. It says, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the light. In verse, that's verse 12. Verse 13, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption and forgiveness of sins. Listen to me. I'm going to bring this all to this Climax here, this pinnacle. The reason why all these things are possible, the wisdom of God, the work of God, the, the walk with God, the sustaining power, the strengthening power, the reason why all these things are possible is because of what Christ has done for us. We see here he rescued us. The word delivered means rescued from danger. This gives us a glimpse of the gospel. We could not deliver ourselves. We couldn't rescue ourselves from the guilt and the penalty of sin. That's why Jesus' death on the cross delivered us from the power of Satan. That's why we're able to do these things. That's why we have strength. That's why we have the sustenance. Because he took us from the domain of darkness and put us and transferred us into the domain of the light. Not only did he rescue us, but he redeemed us. I want you to look at the word redemption. That means to rescue by ransom. It means to rescue by ransom. This is why a slave is set free by paying the price for that slave. Once again, it reinforces this gospel message. When he took us out of the domain of darkness into the domain of light, he paid the price. What was the price? His life, his blood. That's why redemption and even forgiveness goes together oftentimes in the scriptures because forgiveness deals with canceling a debt. When you forgive someone, you are canceling their debt that they owe you because they hurt you. But you're saying, I cancel that. Yes, I feel hurt, but because Jesus died for me and forgiven me, I forgive you. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7 in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. So redemption, his blood, and forgiveness of sins are always linked together. How about us this morning? Do you know the gospel in light of what Christ has done by rescuing you and redeeming you? Are you growing in endurance and patience so that you can live for Christ? I'm wondering, where do you find the strength when you go through hardships and trials in your life? Prayer strengthens us. We can follow God's way as we learn how to pray. I want to give us some quick next steps that I want us to actually put into our lives this coming week. And in life group, we'll follow through on this. First of all, devote yourself to Christ. Understand how he has rescued and redeemed you. That is worthy of devotion. That is worthy of giving your life to. No one else. Not even your parents, not even just your best friend can rescue or redeem you like Jesus Christ did. Devote yourself to him and him alone. Secondly is this, develop your prayer life. It's about building habits and just practicing. I was talking to a couple of people this week and I just said, you know what? Like, I was talking about this topic of, oh, we always say, oh, I'll pray for you. And one of the things that I've been challenging and just people and just for us to even think about and myself as well is that every single time 
when someone shares something and, and then someone says, I'll pray for you. You know, you know when you, I don't know how you guys type. I have a swipe, so I swipe. I do this. But some of you are like, and then you look, the Holy Spirit convicts you, and you push delete, 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 delete. Because you were about to write, I'll pray for you. Don't do that. I'm just challenging you. Actually write a prayer. Now, don't be that person that writes so long that it says more, there's more message. Don't, don't do that. Don't do that. Oh, Heavenly Father, they in heaven. And don't do that. Two, three sentences as, at most. And if someone's asking for prayer, instead of saying, I'll pray for you, or like some of these guys always have initials, HBD. Is that it? Oh, yeah, yeah. What is that? Yeah. HBD. I'd be like, what's HBD? Hello? Big dude? I, I, I like, I like what? They're always like, pastor. That means happy birthday. I'm like, oh. Shouldn't it just be HB? <laughs> just some things to think about that. Sometimes, this is how I use my time. I'm like, wow. <laughs> no, I'm, kidding. I'm just kidding. Right there on the spot, write a two to three sentence prayer for that person who asked for prayer. How awesome would that be? And then message will be flooding in with other people writing out prayers. This is the habit of prayer. Stop saying, I'll pray for you, and not praying for them. What Paul is saying, be filled, controlled by the Holy Spirit in such a way that the knowledge of God will cause us to respond in such a way. I pray that you will pray, even right there on the spot. I'm going to tell you right now, I have prayed for people in some of the weirdest places. And I know that they hated it with a passion. But I have prayed for people in restaurants. I have prayed for people in lobbies of different... I even prayed one time in the bathroom. Now, not when they were going to the bathroom. But like, you know, after you wash your hand and stuff, you're like near that little, little area where you open the door. I'm just like, brother, let me just pray for you. And it, it, it was a little bit weird. After that, I haven't done it. But I mean, like... <laughs> think about it. When someone is sharing some stuff, just pray for them right there, wherever it may be. That is a practice of prayer. Develop this prayer life. Another thing that I I was doing recently is this. When you're praying for something, instead of saying like, oh, I'm going to pray about this, or I'm going to pray for this decision. Let's just be honest. How many of us, when we're praying about a decision, we don't really pray for it? Because once again, what do you pray for? So you know what I do? On my phone, I have alarms. And usually I set a time that's matched up to a verse. So when we're praying for, let's say, uh, just different workers or leaders or whatever it is, I will put 9.36. And I'm going to pray for three minutes, 9.36 through 9.38. Because that's off Matthew chapter 9, verse 36 to 38. And every single time my alarm goes off, please don't pick an obnoxious alarm, you know. You know, all the I'm like, okay, I have a simple just beep, beep. It's just a reminder for me, okay, I need to pray right now. Every Monday, my alarm goes off because I'm praying for the 3, 2, 1, go prayer for the bold vision. Like, set the alarms. Do you guys know each of your phones, you only could do 50 alarms? And some of you guys are hilarious. 
925, I understand. You have a pattern. But maybe you could sacrifice one of those alarms. Because stop hitting snooze. But just sacrifice one of the alarms just to say, this is the time and the moment and the day I'm going to pray for X, Y, Z. Lastly, determined to wait on God. We need to build endurance and patience. If there's anything that we need, we need endurance and patience. I'm praying, Lord, help us to be patient, to wait upon you, determined to wait on God. Let me close with this. Uh, how many of you have seen the, the movie War Room? Anybody? Okay. Some of you have. There's an old lady named Miss Clara, and she was really trying to encourage this one, one lady because she was going through marital issues, and, you know, uh, she just said, you know what? You got to understand the power of prayer. And the powerful thing is in this War Room movie, it's a Christian-based movie, uh, she literally has a room in her house where it's almost like a prayer closet. And all throughout the movie, it's this idea of the true battle is won on our knees when we pray. And this is the last scene where Miss Clara, this old lady, is praying. And there's something about like, Black old ladies who are praying, like, Jesus. You know, I, I mean, like, the, 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 there's something about their prayers. I'm like, whoa, getting all these chills. I'm like, powerful. I feel like they're just really close to God. But she's praying in this room that she made in her house where it's solely dedicated to prayer. She has all these pictures of people and all these different letters and things that she writes of people she's praying for. And God started doing some amazing things. And I just want to show you this last scene when she just gets on her knees and begins to pray. Pray for those people. Pray for the nation. And there it was in the States. But, I mean, I was just thinking, what would happen if we had our own war room in our dorms, in our houses, in our church? Things can change. So let's close and watch this. Come on, let's, let's hang together as we pray. I'm really asking God to raise up more prayer warriors like that in our church. I pray that there will be those people in your life groups, especially in your families. You might be the one because none of your family members are believers. And I'm really hoping that all of us here, that we will, it doesn't come automatically. Please understand that. You got to develop it. That's why I want to encourage you to come out to the all-night prayer. You don't have to stay for the whole thing. If you have to, you could only stay for a couple hours, then that's fine. But at least come. These are opportunities for you to develop your prayer life, to pray together as a whole church, to pray with your life group, to pray for yourself, different things that you need to wrestle with God. But I'm praying that we will have a church that will never cease to pray, that we will see people come to know Christ because we're praying that we'll see people not falling away because we have people praying. We'll have people who are obedient to do the hard things. Even go against the world, go against what family might say, go against whatever because they want to love God. It can only come through prayer. I'm praying that we'll have these types of people who will change the world and we cannot do it without prayer. 
Let, let's be serious about prayer, just like Paul said. May you be filled or controlled by the full wisdom and knowledge of who he is. And through that, that we may live our lives. Because when we think about how God rescued us and redeemed us, that should motivate us not to do things on our own, but we need to pray. Some of you are facing midterms. I pray that you will pray more than ever before. Not because you're desperate, because you realize you're tapping into something that will give you strength. That's something I experienced even when I was in college, where I would read the Bible before I touch any other book, because I wanted my mind to be filled with God first. I would pray before I would study. And it's not a magic formula, don't misunderstand me. But when I put God as a priority, I'm telling you what might have taken six hours to study, I was able to do it in about four. It's just something happens, just like you realize it's no longer you, but it's the power of God. When you serve, it's no longer you, but it's the power of God. I pray that you experience this power. Can we just bow our heads for a moment? And I want us to pray. I want us to just lift up some prayers verbally, just with our, with our lips. Let's just begin to open up our mouths. I want us to pray for a couple things. Let's first pray that God will raise up intercessors and prayer warriors in our church. Secondly, I want us to pray that we will be a church that will put Christ as our ultimate so that everything else pales in comparison. That when He is worshipped, that He is exalted, that people will come to know how great God is. Let's pray for that witness of the greatness of God through our lives. Whatever we do, whatever, wherever we go, that God will use it. So those two things, that we raise up prayer warriors and that we will just lift up the greatness of God and how we live our lives so that people will know who Jesus Christ is. Can we just pray for those two things right now? Let's just open our mouths, let's lift our voices and just begin to pray that. We thank you, Lord Jesus.